Hello, welcome to another episode of Your Words Against Mine, competitive reading podcast between siblings. I'm your brother co-host, Thomas Dempsey. I'm your sister co-host, Elizabeth Connor. And it is summer and it is hot. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, I, it's just, it's hot and it's humid. I'm hearing about dew points that are out of this world. Yeah. Yep. You know, some of our listeners might not know, like, why dew points are relevant, so maybe we need to tell them. Uh, or we could leave them with a little bit of mystery in life. Well, okay. Go go do your own research. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just go into the arms of, like, some dew point conspiracist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what is dew point? It, I know it has to do with humidity. Yeah, so basically the dew point is at what temperature that dew will, like, appear on the grass. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm, like, 90% sure that's right. That's cool. I just checked my phone, and what I do know is that it says it's 92 degrees here, but the heat index is 100. Wow. Which it's, is cooler than it was yesterday. Oh, sure. It's a it's a frigid 84 degrees where we're at. You said 84? Uh, well, hang on. That actually does seem... Uh, 88. I'm still jealous. Yeah. Well, we got a... I think we got better tree cover around these parts. Yeah, y'all do. We, we have none. Like, our apartment sits directly in the sunlight. Yeah. It's summer. That we've it been is. uh you've been finding ways to beat the heat goodness it was what did we record before or after uh we came and saw y'all before okay so yeah we had our trip to florence uh, a couple weeks back yep it was it was it was i won't say uh, fraught is too harsh a term but it was intriguing uh the Friday we were supposed to leave, the night before, our washing machine broke. Well, technically, I think it had broken the day previous when I overloaded it with bed sheets, but it had been, I think, acting up for a while now, and that was probably just the last straw. Yeah. This past week, Mom and Dad went and got themselves a Speed Queen, which is like one of the better high-end washers made in Wisconsin or wherever. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been doing a few loads with it in the days since and been enjoying it. I think Mom enjoys it. But we were dealing with early Friday, so we didn't get down that day while we were, I guess, getting laundry done and taking care of some things. But uh, we did set out early Saturday to meet y'all up in uh, Palermo? Pamplico. Pamplico. Meet y'all at Pamplico for a Little League game. Is it Little League, technically? Technically, it's now it's called Recreation Ball. Recreation Ball. All right, so it was a rec league. Yeah, it's a rec league. Okay, so we met Elizabeth for her uh, stepson's rec league game. Got there right around noon when the game started. And it it's one of those weekends where there's just so much going on for so long that by the time it's over, even though it's been a truncated period of time it feels like like you've been out there twice as long as you have yeah um and that was uh, so y'all got so and i was super impressed because y'all are not really morning people Mm -hmm. so (laughs) so i i was super impressed that y'all got there when you did and that y'all were on time for the game because pamplico is about 45 minutes to an well it if you when you get used to the drive it's like 30 minutes but like if you're not used to the drive it takes like an hour to get out there from where i live mm-hmm. so it took y'all like a like that was like a 4 hour trip basically basically well three and a half yeah and y'all made it on time for the game and then it was like super super hot so y'all were such good sports and sat on the super uncomfortable bleachers and sweated your buns off yeah oh, sure it wasn't too bad. It was fairly cloudy, and there was, like, a nice breeze. So. Yeah. I think y'all were Andrew's good luck charm because his team won the two games that y'all were there for, and then they lost the next two games. Yeah, well, I I put it to him that they should have put Andrew out there more 
Yeah, no, they they, yeah. they should have. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah, it was a good wrong. couple of games, especially that last one where the guy hit the out of the park homer. Yeah. Now, that game was that was another game that y'all surprised me for because okay, that game was supposed to start at six o'clock. Right. So we all went out for like a late lunch, early dinner, and then we we're on our way uh, to the ballpark like 45 minutes before the game's supposed to start. And that's when we get a call from Andrew's mom saying that the two o'clock, no, that the four o'clock game is just now starting at like 5.15. Yeah. And then that game took forever to be played. So we didn't start, like our game was supposed to start at six. We didn't start until like what, almost nine? Yeah, thereabouts. The, the game was over well past 11 o'clock. Yeah, well, we got back on the road around 11.15 and then uh, stopped off for gas before getting back on the highway. So we didn't make it back home until about 2.30 in the morning. And again, we so we sat outside, wait for the, we were outside for like, what, five hours? Yeah, pretty much. But Mom and Dad had their new chairs, so they were okay. They did. I'm not going to lie. I really like those chairs. I'm already saving up money for next baseball season. There are these new uh, fold-out rocking chairs that, uh, I guess, what's that uh, sports store that they got them from? Academy. Yeah, I guess they're Academy brand because I, I saw a bunch of other people uh, using them. Figure they probably got them at the same store we did. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, they are pretty f snazzy, and I just, I just roughed it on a six-dollar folding chair that. Uh, is more in line with what you think of. It's like the the tent poles and the tarp, mm -hmm. the cup oh, holder. Oh, so my poor, like I like my heart was broken. So like the last game that Andrew's team played that like got them that eliminated them from the tournament. Um, I had brought my bag chair in case there was a good spot, and there wasn't. So I ended up having to sit in the bleachers, and I just like propped my bag chair up behind the bleachers, and I was like, oh, I'll get it when the game was done. As soon as we got home from the game, I realized I left my bag chair at the park. Oh, no. So, I mean, again, it was a $6 bag chair, but, like, I've had that chair for, like, three years. I was like, oh, man. All those memories. All those memories. All those ball games that I took that chair to. Well, maybe it could still be out there. Eh, I'm not going to drive to Pamplico for a $6 chair. That's more, that's probably what I would spend in gas. Yeah, that's true. That was that weekend, and this past weekend, uh, we got the washing machine on Friday, and mm -hmm. the, and early that morning, uh, our grandma's house got broken into. Yep. Somebody uh, kicked in the back door and set off the burglar alarm, so mom yep. got a notification on her phone from Simply Safe, and we drove over there, saw that the door was open, we called up some deputies to scope out the house they they went through all the rooms to make sure nobody was in there then uh we barricaded the door that night until the next day when we could get over there with like more substantial equipment to like repair the deadbolt and find the key to the front door so we could start using it and uh yeah it was just a whole deal yeah conflicting emotions obviously because like you've had this house broken into seemingly nothing stolen. I guess the alarm probably spooked him off. Yeah. At the same time, getting that washer in and finally being able to do some clothes after like a week plus of not. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. It's uh, been a interesting couple weeks. Yep. Yep. And we got uh, 4th of July coming up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, next weekend, I'm starting my... I guess semi-annual house sitting for my friends. Whenever they go on vacation, they always give me, I guess, first crack at house sitting for them. So I'll be over there looking after their cat and dog. Yep. The weekend that y'all were down here, I was finishing up some assignment. Like, I think I finished, I did one, I did my final assignment for my gifted and talented class that I've been taking this summer or like yeah. the summer term. Um, so anyway, I got my grade back. I made a 100. Nice. So I was pretty excited about that. You know, I really like, uh, I don't know how I would like getting a degree online. 
but I will mm-hmm. say for these little like one-off courses or like courses where you, you know like when I say one-off courses I mean like you need like courses for recertification or for an endorsement or whatever like yeah it, it's really pretty ideal okay I feel like it's just I kind of like it well, that's cool this is not the first online course I've ever taken yeah but the format's all basically the same it's like read this stuff answer this question in a discussion forum comment back to like one or two people and do like a handful of assignments so there was that i have been working on a christmas blanket for well i'm gonna go ahead and say it because he doesn't listen to this podcast um i've been working on a christmas blanket for andrew the younger one Um, yeah what i've decided to start doing is putting everyone's like all my like immediate family's name into like a, a random list generator or like a yeah that's what it's called and then pretty much just hitting it like running it once and then whoever comes up at the top like they're gonna get a blanket made for them that christmas that's cool so this year andrew got it so i'm working on his blanket how much does the yarn to make one of those things cost Renya? if i used the yarn that the pattern suggests i would use it would cost me like 125 bucks, and that includes shipping because it has to come from overseas. Okay. But, see, there are things with yarn called, like, there's different weights of yarn. And when I say weights, that's W-E-I-G-H-T. Okay. And, um, and they're categorized by number. So for this particular weight of yarn, I looked at Joann's, which is a craft store. Couldn't really find anything in that weight. I went to Hobby Lobby and they did have that weight and they have and Hobby Lobby has their own brand of yarn in that weight. So okay. I got most of this I got most I pretty much cleared them out of all the colors that I needed and like I'm missing a handful of skeins of yarn. But like from my first trip, if you include all of the yarn plus the crochet needle and then there was a 30% off, like, coupon. I, I spent, like, $42. Nice. So probably by the time I, I buy the other skeins of yarn and stuff, I'll, I'll probably, I'm probably sitting at, like, 55 bucks. Not bad. No, it's really not. You just have to, like, shop around and do some comparisons and, like, coupon and shop the sales, basically. Speaking of savings, uh, this past Friday was the start of the biannual Barnes and Noble Criterion sale. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I uh, restrained myself to buying just three uh, Blu-rays, which, with the fifty percent discount, runs you about sixty dollars. I commend you for that. I've, I've yeah. seen you make some Criterion collection purchases. Yes, but uh, that also those three purchases put my total criterion collection at 300 uh, volumes wow yeah and that's including stuff like box sets yeah to give you an idea about how big that collection is of all the criterion films that i own or films that are in criterion editions Mm -hmm. i have not seen 370 of them wow so i own more criterion films that i've watched which is not a uh, policy that I set out for when I started collecting these things. In fact, back when I was in college, I uh, held myself to only buying movies that I'd seen. Yeah. But then once I started, like, earning money at my job, that went out the window, so... Of course. Yeah. But, uh, so now I'm gonna... Before I buy any more, I'm gonna commit to watching them all. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Barnes & Noble because I went into Barnes & Noble. Uh, it was to actually purchase the book for our challenge, which I ended up not being able to purchase because I didn't have it. Okay. Um, so I purchased something else, and that's when I found out about... Like, I had heard on TikTok about Barnes & Noble's, like, premium subscription plan. Yes. I was like, well, I'm not really, because, like, I don't buy books, like, from, like, I don't buy a lot of physical books, just because I try to be conscientious, I'm trying to be more conscientious about, like, buying things that are going to take up space. Um, Sure. But when I went, and and I went and I bought this book, they said, we do have a free membership, and the, and so I signed up for the free membership, which is, do you know about the free membership? Uh, Explain it to me. Okay, so the free membership is for every 
$10 within one single purchase, you will get a stamp. Once you get 10 stamps, you will get $5 off your next purchase. So it's basically like a 5% cashback reward system. Yeah, okay, so I do have that on my premium membership, which also mm -hmm. includes the 10% discount on all purchases. Yeah. And I don't know if uh, with the premium, if it's total spending, so not just like singular purchases over 10. Yeah, no, it is because, and I know this because I bought my book, which was like 10, which was because I had a, I had a gift card that like I had to use up, which was like right at 10 bucks. So like I got my, so I got my stamp for that. And then I went and I had, I ended up having to do two purchases at the cafe because they forgot to ring up one of my items and I did not receive a second stamp. Okay. Because neither one of those purchases was over ten dollars, but if you had combined them, it probably it would have been ten bucks. Interesting. So it's for every ten dollars within a single purchase. So if you go and you spend like fifty bucks, you're gonna get five stamps. Right, and but that you uh, then you've got special occasions where they'll give you double or triple stamp rates if mm -hmm. you buy it on uh, certain occasions. Yep. Yeah, so that's um, that's very in intriguing. Which brings me to, which makes me think about how I ended up purchasing the book for the challenge today. Um, so okay. I ended up having to buy the Kindle version because I was like, the like, Barnes and Noble is really the only books is the is the only bookstore in my town. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I can't get a physical copy, so I'm gonna have to get an e copy, which is fine. Pretty much all of my books are e copies. So anyway, Kindle has this program now where there are, you get one point per dollar you spend. So if you spend 17 bucks on a book, you get 17 points. Okay. Kindle does, and Kindle also does this thing where under circum, special circumstances, you get like double points or triple points or whatever. So anyway, I ended up having like seven, I had like over 700 Kindle points. Wow. So for every 300 points, you get $3 off. And you okay. have to do it, like, you have to redeem, you have to redeem, per, like, every 300 points. So basically, I redeemed 300 points twice, which gave me $6 in Kindle credit, and I was able to, uh, like, apply that $6 Kindle credit to the book for the challenge. Okay. Is that one point per dollar spent on Kindle or with Amazon? Um, on Kindle, it has to be a Kindle purchase, not for well, not with Amazon. Because getting f like three dollars back for having spent three hundred dollars seems pretty bogus. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's basically like a one percent. Um, it's basically a one percent uh, cashback system. Yeah, it's like a rounding error. Yeah, basically. Uh, I'm sorry to harsh your buzz. No, it's it's fine. Um, but like I said. Oh, oh, they also do things where it's like, if you make a Kindle per, you know, it'll be like one day only or like for this weekend or whatever. Uh, you made a Kindle purchase, so you get like, because you made one Kindle purchase, you get like an additional 100 points or whatever. Well, that's not bad. It's something, so. Yeah. Okay. Which unfortunately I feel speaks more to how much I actually spend like on eBooks than anything else. Sure. If I had anything else I wanted to talk about, it's abandoned me, so. You uh, ready to talk books? Yep, let's talk books. Alrighty. Do we want to lead with the challenge or save it for the back half? You know, we've been leading with the challenge, and I kind of like doing that. So let's go ahead and lead with the challenge. Okay, we're going to lead with the challenge, and our challenge for this week came from yours truly. Did you want to bring us up to speed on what it was? Um, yeah, so... Sorry, there's a bug in my face. Alright, getting to my Kindle app. Because I can't remember the name of the book. All right, so the book we that Thomas challenged us to read for this episode was "An Absolutely Remarkable Thing" by Hank Green, mm -hmm. and it is about so this girl, her name is April May. She is walking home. She's trying to get on the subway like super super late one night. Her metro card ends up not working at the station, so she has to go back to work and like get a different metro card. And on her way back, so. Basically, over the span of like 10 to 15 minutes, um, this 
giant statue has appeared on the sidewalk in front of a Chipotle in Manhattan. And at first she goes to like disregard it. And then she's like, no, this is a really cool thing and I need to appreciate it. So she calls one of her best friends whose name is Andy. And he's like, he does like a podcast. He has a YouTube channel and stuff. And she has him bring down his camera equipment and lighting. And they shoot like a little, they shoot a YouTube video where basically like she's a reporter. She pretends like Andy's a stranger and she interviews him. She tries to interview the robot who she names Carl and obviously it doesn't answer her back and uh, and then they kind of wrap things up she goes home to go to sleep Andy goes home to edit and upload the video and when she wakes up the next day her life has completely changed yep it's a book about social media and space aliens and politics yep and kind of not so not obviously like Carl like Carson Tucker. Oh, uh, well, I would think that uh, the parallel for that character that you're thinking of is more, probably more like a... <laughs> oh, wow. You almost don't want to paint a target or any, on yourself. I could think of very... Sp- uh, think of who this brings to mind. It is a young, dapper, conspiracy theorist, political pundit. I'm sure you can fill in the gaps with who that is drawing on but Do they live uh, in florida yeah i don't even know yeah it's you'll um have to, you'll have to tell me during the break because i can't think of who you're talking about well I, i'm just saying that our listeners there's multiples it's like oh, a whole okay. ecosystem but uh, it's a type yeah it's very much a type a lot of types in this book i think as mm-hmm. far as social media the political <laughs> landscape uh, cable news etc it's a book about fame basically and the things Mm -hmm. that fame does to us also about like the human connections on a societal level yeah yeah so it's about a lot of things it's by hank green who most people will know as the youtuber uh, on vlog brothers and the ceo of companies like uh, crash course nerd fighteria and various charities and educational organizations Mm mm-hmm I, I've talked about him a bit in the past. You've have you seen any of Hank or John Green's uh, stuff? I've seen Hank's TikToks. I'm pretty sure I follow him on TikTok. Yeah. Um, I've seen Hank's TikToks. I've never seen any of his YouTube stuff. I've read John Green. I've read his brother John's some of his. I mean, I read The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. That's really the only thing I've read by John. Um, okay. And then I read this by. Hank, and then the book that I bought from Barnes and Noble was was the sequel to this book, uh, a beautifully foolish endeavor, right? Which which I is a weirdly ma- better name than an absolutely remarkable thing. Yeah, I got some major props from the uh, sales associate who rang me up for purchasing that book. Oh, I'm happy to like, hear like, it. I like. Yeah. I definitely felt like I was appreciated for having good taste, even though I had not read the first, even though I had not read an absolutely remarkable thing yet. And I just bought this, the sequel because I was like, just in case, you know, well, my understanding is that it's a direct sequel to the first book and that the two are basically a diptych. So mm-hmm. like one story conveyed across two volumes. Mm-hmm. I checked volume one out of the library uh, a couple weeks back and I need to make some renewals and returns later yeah. this evening so while I'm doing that I'm going to check out the other volume which I know that they have in stock and uh, finish it up in turn okay oh yeah. so do you, you you did not finish no I did I did I did oh, okay. Uh, okay. I finished absolutely remarkable I just mean I would finish the series okay gotcha yeah yeah, so uh, how do we feel about it? Holy crap, did I love this book. All right. So, I mean, I, I like finished the book. I looked at Brian and said, you've got to read this. Oh, yeah. I, I bet Brian I, would probably enjoy it. I really think he would. I'm going to, and I'm also going, I've also been meaning to text my older stepson and be like, listen, you and your girlfriend, y'all need to read this book because it is so good. Like, I went to Barnes & Noble thursday i actually and then i bought the kindle version um 
I think I bought the Kindle version either Thursday night or maybe Friday morning. And I read, I, and I just like flew through this book. Like I finished it sometime on Saturday. Okay. I finished it morning or early afternoon. Yeah. I finished it, uh, yesterday evening. Like, I feel like this was the book that I needed to kind of get me out of like my reader's fatigue. Oh, sure. Because I finished that book and then I finished another book that I had started before that one. And then I've. And then I read one book completely, like, yesterday. Wow. And then I started another book yesterday, and I think I'm, like, almost halfway through that one. Okay. Yeah, I also finished a second book yesterday after uh, finishing this one. So, like, this book was so good that I'm like, I want to read now. That's great. That's about the best thing you can say about a book, I think. I think so, too. So, thank you for uh, making this part of the challenge. Oh, absolutely. I'd heard good things about it. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't checked it out myself. Or and obviously this is, I think, Hank Green's first novel. So mm-hmm. while he's written a lot for his YouTube channel and his various uh, educational endeavors, so he's a talented writer. He mm-hmm. uh, has never engaged in fiction before. So this was my first exposure to uh, that side of things. I don't know why, but like this book was the book that made me realize. You know what? Like, people write scripts for, like, social media. Oh, sure. Like, I should have realized that earlier, but this is the book that made me realize, No, you know, there are people who sit down and they very carefully plan out, like, what they want to say and how to communicate exactly, like, what they mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like not everyone does that, but uh, I think the most successful people do. Yeah. Like, I've I just about torn my hair out watching some people, like, do videos that are clearly just them speak, like, speaking extemporaneously. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, just turn the camera off and write this stuff down before you film yourself. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's very, obviously it's drawing on Hank's career as a YouTuber to sort of inform elements of, like, social media fame. In the in the uh, acknowledgments, he talks about a lot of the various people he interviewed to sort of gain a breadth of perspective for the various characters in the book. Mm-hmm. It, it it really sort of has an air of authenticity to a lot of it, despite being about uh, aliens and potentially world-threatening phenomena. Yep. Yeah. So we've been going on about it for a good while now, and we hadn't even really talked about any of the characters or plot. Mm-mm. I mean, we, you gave the broad strokes with, the, like, the opening uh, inciting incident. But yeah. uh, I, how'd you like April? I felt like April was a very... This is gonna. This might sound weird, but I feel like she was a very realistic character. Okay. Like, she talks about her feelings, and she, like, does... Like, she does self-reflection about her responses to certain events and things like I can see and basically like I can see how she gets from point A to point B like I can kind of like it makes logical sense how she kind of becomes who she becomes by the end of the book Um, yeah I get that and I also think it's like kind of admirable that like Hank that like Hank wrote her as someone who's fairly self-aware of like you know it bothers, like, it bothers, like, there are moments in the book where, like, it bothers her that she's not the first one to gain information, or it bothers her that, like, not all of the attention is on her for whatever reason. Right. Um, Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of, like, candid self-reflection and introspection about the way fame can uh, impact people, or the way the attention economy can sort of manipulate people to act like unconsciously against their own ideals or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I was going to say something else about her, but I do kind of hate how there were some parts in the story where she maybe just kind of little went along with what was easier. Oh, sure. Like kind Which... of regarding like the, the situation with her, with the, the woman who ended up becoming her agent and like how to present April's um, sexuality. Right. Because yeah. April is bi. Um, but when, 
when she gets famous in the story, her agent uh, encourages her to identify as a lesbian because it's uh, more marketable, essentially. Or it's less... uh, Her agent argues that it opens her up to less scrutiny. Right. Um, Yeah. And really, like, her agent really kind of is like, you need to be one or the other. You either need to come across as straight or you need to come across as, like, gay. Um, But bisexual is going to be, like, difficult to, for, like, an audience to process. Right. So that's another element of candor, I think. It takes a very, like, clear-eyed view of the darkness at the heart of the entertainment industry and the marketing industries. Mm Mm-hmm. The way that, like, people who make money off of other people's, essentially, identities, like, controlling the way information is disseminated in a way that prioritizes profits above all else, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely does not shy away from making points about uh, that side of things. But I also feel like it's uh, important to note that, like, in spite of all this, like, very cogent point making I guess that I'm hitting on it's not a strident it's a very like enjoyable read oh yeah like I mean I flew through this book yeah because it's, it's like a strong balance of like Hank Green's sort of signature essay style of writing where mm-hmm. uh, the character of April is just sort of like talking about and thinking about various concepts and aspects of her life and the things happening to her and then of course you've got like the actual events of the story involving Carl the robot and the world's reaction to him and the events that are set in motion by him mm-hmm. I mean and it, honest and really that ending though really just it really does feel like the first half of a story as opposed to like a book with a cliffhanger yeah because like i mean it it resolves there's like events are wrapped up but yeah like if if hank wanted to like he could have just ended it and it'd be like a standalone novel sure but it definitely feels like uh a lot of what this first book sets up is designed to pay off in the second book Mm -hmm. so i'm looking forward to reading that yeah me too like i've uh one of the bigger movies to come out recently is that across the spider-verse film Mm -hmm. and it is technically part one of a two-part story that Mm -hmm. is a sequel to into the spider-verse and Basically, the only criticism I've ever heard anyone make about Across the Spider-Verse is that it is a very great first half of a story. Yeah. So, any problems you might have with that film essentially boiled down to none of the like plot threads or character threads or anything like that being resolved until the next movie. Mm-hmm. And then also, apparently, the working conditions on it were pretty rough, so that's always that. Is that the animated one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've been meaning to get out to the theaters more often. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I've been wanting to see. Yeah, I don't think we've been to a movie since uh, Cocaine Bear. Oh, yeah, I remember y'all talking about that. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about an absolutely remarkable thing? Read it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's high time we took a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff we've been reading. So we'll see you in a second. And welcome back to Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. So prior to the break, we had finished up our discussion of our challenge book, which was an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green, which definitely gets the Your Words Against Mine seal of approval. And now we're going to kind of go into the other books that we read since our last episode. Yeah. Hey, can I, uh, can I just say a thing that occurred to me? Yeah. Yeah. It was earlier when you were saying that, uh, you were impressed by how we were the previous weekend based on the fact that we are not quote unquote morning people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not denying that, but I will say I have been waking up earlier recently, more regularly, but not 
in a way that is especially admirable. Okay. I, I would say that the way I framed it in my mind was, inside me there are two wolves. One wants to sleep, the other wakes up at seven utterly dehydrated. <laughs> yeah, so most mornings it's pretty much a push and pull between am I th thirsty enough to stay awake or am I like just like not thirsty enough to go back to sleep <laughs> and it's not even like drinking the day before and not getting enough water in my system it's just like I don't know it's probably like to do with the heat as well mm -hmm. or the the uh, cold I've got a fan and an air vent in my room so there's definitely a lot of cold air fluctuating around mm -hmm. yeah but that's uh yeah that's sort of my situation okay yeah all right so now we can talk books okay yeah um so in addition to an absolutely remarkable thing i read two other books okay well in addition to an absolutely remarkable thing i read f uh 15 other books oh okay there is obviously a but okay. coming. Yeah, so we can lead with yours. Okay. Um, so the first book that I finished, and I finished this after I finished an absolutely remarkable thing, um, is called Selenus, Alien Satyr. Satyr? Satyr? You no, know, it's like the half person. Satyr? Yeah, Satyr. Half person, half goat? Yeah. Okay. Uh, by Amy Wright, if you remember from our last episode, she's the one who wrote uh, the, the the books about like the cat-human hybrids and also yes. the polar bear-human hybrids. The polar um, bears. So um, this is like a different series that I started to read. I don't know that I'm going to continue this particular series, but I did finish the book. So the book takes place on Earth in the first century BCE. Uh-huh. Okay, so, like, there's no technology. Yeah, sure. And um, you kind of, like, you don't know exactly where it's taking place, but, like, you kind of get the, the feeling that it's, like, like Greece or Italy somewhere. Okay. Because, like, they talk about, like... Mediterranean. They talk, yeah, you kind of get the feeling that it's, like, in the Mediterranean somewhere. Um, yeah. The book opens with the female protagonist who is human. Her name is... Aria, because it's it's like Aria, but with two R's, so I guess it's oh. Aria. Okay. And Aria is a widow who lives with her two young daughters, her mother and her mother-in-law. Her husband, like I said, she's a widow, so her husband's dead. Yes. Aria is looking for one of her goats, so she's like, I mean, and like the weather's terrible, and she can't find the goat, so she's like, forget it. Either he's dead or he's not. Um. So she's, like, walking home, and she comes across a fallen tree that has fallen across a satyr, uh, whose name ends up become whose name you end up finding out becomes, is Selenus. Okay. Selenus well, is not, like, like, he's not, like, a mythical creature who's, like, been hiding, and she just kind of came across him. No, uh, Selenus is an, is an alien. Right. Specifically, he's a xenobiologist. And his, like, and, like, he's been stranded on Earth, and he's trying to, like, get back in communication with his ship, because, um, like, he's part of a crew. Yeah. And, anyway, while he's trapped on Earth, he and Aria develop a relationship. Okay. And then it's a whole thing of, like, him realizing that, like, humans are not primitive because they are of low intelligence humans are just primitive because they have not created the technology that he is accustomed to right in terms of like i guess that kind of stuff like this is the more one of the more interesting romance novels i've read where you've got someone who is you know so far advanced technologically falling in love with someone who is in terms of technology very primitive um yeah but anyway, like, I mean, it's, like, the book's fine. Sure. And that's that's really all I can say about it, is it's, okay. it's fine. Yeah. It reminds me yeah. of a book I've got, 
that I checked out from the library but haven't started on yet called uh, The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber. He's uh -huh. a uh, social scientist who passed away last year, and I believe Dawn of Everything was published posthumously. Okay. But uh, he's, he's written a lot of books, and I've actually read some of them uh, in the past. Dawn of Everything is essentially that kind of concept of how we tend to uh, trivialize like the way we think about the mentalities of people who lived centuries if not millennia ago mm -hmm. when what i guess what the book is looking to do is like view their psychology as being in line with any that might exist in a modern context just in a different uh like social or technological circumstance Mm-hmm. And exploring all the wrinkles that exist there. Yeah. So it, it's a very big book. I probably won't finish it anytime soon, let alone for this competition. But mm -hmm. uh, it's one that I've been ch uh, scoping out. So. Okay. Yeah. So I did say I had read 15 other books apart from uh, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. Uh, worth noting, uh, 14 of those books are graphic novels. And oh. 13 of them are volumes of One Piece. Oh, okay. Yeah, so none of these are, none of those are counting towards my word total or any challenges that I was fulfilling. They were just so... something I happened to get into reading recently. Okay. So, but I uh, have been reading a lot of One Piece. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a Japanese manga by a writer named Ichiro Oda. It is uh, about. It's basically like super-powered pirates. So uh, it takes place on an alternate world that is like... You know how like our own world is vast majority water? Yes. Like I think like something like 70 or 80% water. Mm-hmm. This alternate world is like 95% water. There's only like one single uh, continent. And the rest of the world is just isolated islands. Okay. And between all these islands are, like, obviously, uh, pirate crews that sail around, like, getting into battles with the world government, pillaging villages and what have you. And the hero of the story is a boy named Luffy, who, uh, as a child, ate one of what are known as the devil fruits and gained from it the power of uh, rubber. So mm -hmm. he's basically Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four. He can stretch his body out to extraordinary lengths and dimensions. And he uses these powers to navigate the oceans and to assemble himself a pirate crew so he can go out into the world and discover the long-lost treasure named One Piece. Okay. Yeah. And so I bought the the first box set of this manga, which is like the first 23 volumes of it. Uh, I bought it about a couple years back when I found it on sale for a good price and started reading it recently because a Discord server that I'm on was doing a read-along thread. Uh -huh. But also, in August, Netflix is releasing a live-action adaptation of One Piece uh, based on like the first hundred chapters of the manga. Uh -huh. uh, I just thought I'd like, reappraise myself of it before checking out what the show's going to be like. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's... I mean, if you're put off by certain elements of manga as being, like, uh, salacious or violent, I will say this One Piece is very, like, cartoony and jovial in tone. Mm -hmm. So while it can be have, like, problematic elements, it never feels malicious. And yeah. over the years, I think it's sort of done a good job of improving and clarifying its sort of perspective on various like themes and stuff like that okay yeah so it's actually a very like well-considered work of fantasy yeah it's uh worth checking out if anybody has the chance you can read pretty much the whole thing on the shonen jump app which is only like two dollars a month or i believe mm -hmm. i don't know if you can read it on manga plus which is free but mm -hmm. uh, you might, you know, it depends. Anyway, uh, so that was that. And the other graphic novel I read was called Friday 
by Ed Brubaker, uh, art by Marcos Martin and Munsta Vincent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the first three volumes, or the first three issues of an independent comic that have been collected into a single trade. It's ba- it's one of those series where, it, because it's produced independently, they can just put out new issues whenever it's available. Actually, I think mm-hmm. it updates online, but then they uh, release it physically. Okay. So, but anyway, I this was a series I'd heard good word of mouth about and wanted to check out. It is about a college freshman named Friday Fitzhugh who basically is on leave from college to visit her hometown of Kings Hill in, I guess, Maine, it sounds like, or the like New England coastal town. Mm-hmm. And she is famously the assistant of a boy named Lancelot Jones who was like the town child detective when oh. the the two of them became friends when they were both in the sixth grade but uh, Lancelot is like a uh, savant genius so mm-hmm. he was two grades ahead of his own age range so okay. uh, he would get picked on and bullied by older kids and Fr- uh, Friday like stepped up to be his like defender and so the two okay. of them basically formed a crime-solving duo in the vein of countless young adult-style mystery novel series. Mm-hmm. But then, as uh, things are wont to do, they grow up, and they grow apart, and Friday moves away from town to go to college, and when she gets back, she has trouble reconnecting with Lance and uh, her family and just sort of like coming to terms with her identity and her past. And also there's monsters in the woods. Oh. Yeah. So it's a great like supernatural adventure thriller story with the whole child detective framing Mm -hmm. to hang its hat on. And the artwork's really cool. The volumes are pretty cheap. I think this first one was only like $15. And there's only two of them out so far, so I think it's supposed okay. to be a three-volume set. Yeah, it, it definitely gets a good recommendation for me, too. All right. All righty. So you got your other book? Yeah. So my other book is called No One Has to Know by Karen Hart. I guess it's kind of like a unconnected ser- part of an unconnected series. It's called a Deal with the Devil novel, or it says like a Deal with the Devil novel, so... So that's like the name of the uh, the franchise. Yeah, but it's it doesn't say like book one or book two, you know, nothing like that. No one has to know. The two the protagonists are Mason Burns, who is a cop with a like a dark side to him, and then huh. Angela Havers, who is a girl with a traumatizing past, and she works as an assistant at a, at a florist shop. Okay. Angela is walking home. Or is walking to the bank so that she can make, like, the nightly deposit. Uh-huh. And basically, like, a, a crackhead. I don't, that's, I don't know what else to call him. Uh, his yeah. name is Brick. He attacks her to try to get the deposit from her. And he threatens her with a knife. And he ends up, okay. like, cutting her on the neck. Well, Mason, or Burns, as he's known throughout most of the book, Burns has been stalking her for months. Uh-oh. And he is there, and, like, because he's stalking her, like, he's there. He sees the attack happen, and he goes after Burns, and he arrests him and all that stuff. Well, like I said, like, Burns is dark, so he is not afraid to, like, kind of perform his own justice, basically. And I'll let you do with that information what you will. Sure. So that Burns can go after the guy who attacked Angela... There's, there's somebody else on the scene there. He's like a local shopkeeper. And so he's like, here, I need you to watch her. Well, the next day, like, Angela's at work. That shopkeeper comes over. He asks her out on a date. So she goes on a date with him. Well, when she comes home from her date with this guy, who, like, it did not end the way he wanted. So, like, he didn't walk her up to his her apartment or anything. He just, like, let her out the car and then drove off. Uh. Mason gets out of the patro- his patrol car and arrests her. But doesn't tell her what she's being arrested for. She gets knocked unconscious. And when she wakes up, she is handcuffed to a bed in his basement. Uh Uh-oh. So, anyway, like, 
because when you read the book, like there's already a spoiler, like there's all like there's a guaranteed quote unquote happily ever after. So like Angela and Mason are gonna end up together. Wait, Mason being the guy who knocked her out and chained her in his basement. Yeah. This book sounds weird. It is weird. And it gets really weird because there's like an I don't know if you've read Gone Girl, but there's like an almost Gone Girl-ish twist, like within the last five pages. Oh, uh, okay. That actually segues kind of nicely into the other book I read for uh, that I can count towards my word total. It was uh, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha okay. Christie. I think this might be the first Agatha Christie novel I've ever read. Okay. Yeah. But uh, obviously, I know her as like the uh, writer of the novels starring Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot. Uh, mm-hmm. Did she was she involved at all with Murder? She wrote was that based on I, one of her characters or I thought so. Yeah, because I just didn't recognize any like Murder She Wrote adjacent stuff in like the uh, books by section of this novel. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, the Murder of Roger Ackroyd is like the fourth. Hercule Poirot novel, so relatively early in uh, his, her career. I think it predates like Murder on the Orient Express by like several volumes. Okay. This is one where I, I guess Hercule Poirot's whole thing is that he is technically a retired police detective, but he just keeps mm-hmm. getting involved as like a private private investigator for various weird crimes. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he is, like, housing in this quiet kind of, like, village. He's not even, like, the protagonist of the book. The main character is this guy named Dr. Shepard, who is, uh, like, attending patients and has various friends and relations around the village. One of whom is a man named Roger Ackroyd, whose wife had passed away one year prior. Mm Mm-hmm. And there had always been the suspicion that she was poisoned. Okay. But there was never any, like... I mean, it, it was not found to be the case. So, uh, in one year after her, her untimely death, uh, Roger Ackroyd calls Dr. Shepard uh, to his house, where he is also, like, holding uh, a bunch of guests over, and he's got, like, family living with him. Ackroyd tells Shepard that he is being blackmailed, and he does not know who his blackmailer is but he has been he has received a letter i think from his dead wife identifying him mm-hmm. before he reveals it to dr shepherd per the title he himself is murdered and okay at the same time uh, dr shepherd becomes acquainted with hercule perot who has recently leased out a house in this village to try and require and to try and like uh, retire quietly to the countryside after his like career as a police detective but mm-hmm. uh i mean once he catches wind of uh, this murder and uh is enlisted by roger Ackroyd's nephew's fiance mm-hmm. to investigate because roger Ackroyd's nephew is seen as the prime suspect mm-hmm. hercule perot is on the case and dr shepherd accompanies him from there on it's just like your classic British murder mystery with like people in chambers and dinner tables and like sneaking around between rooms. It's quite good. I will say I was not totally on board with the twist. It's one of those things where it's logically sound, but it doesn't really feel satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is because I have, this is one of those stories where like you can pretty much count on any story after this one having borrowed this twist from the murder of Roger Accord. Mm -hmm. And I have seen like iterations of this mystery where the entire point of the story is, hey, isn't this kind of twist a little unsatisfying? That's just sort of how I was primed to receive it when it, once Mm -hmm. it was finally laid out. So I can't really blame the book, I guess, for the way media in the near century since its publication has, like, sort of, like, elaborated on it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely down with Agatha Christie's style of writing. I'd love to read more of her work. 
probably be getting on that soon. Okay. That's, you know, that's like Brian, Brian pretty consistently is always like, yeah, my favorite author is Stephen King. But he, I know, but he has also said he very much appreciates Agatha Christie novels. Yeah. Uh, Does that cover all the books we've been talking about? I think so. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into word totals then. Okay. So since the last time, since our last episode, my subtotal, I guess, is 216,913 words, which brings my year to date total up to 3,171,522 words, which puts me at 31.51% of my 2021 word count. Okay. Absolutely remarkable thing was I had down as being 98,977 words. Uh, Roger Ackroyd uh, was 78,114 words. Add Mm -hmm. those together and add them to my previous word total. And my current word total is 2,954,429 words, putting me at 67% of my 2021 word total. Okay. And it also puts me about two months ahead of where I was in uh, 2021. Okay. By about... uh, I don't know, like maybe 200,000 words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Okay. Yeah, and, it, and I'm keeping it close. Now, bingo. Oh, yeah. You, um, you got a bingo? I don't think I do, just because of the types of books I read. Okay, well, you've gotten sci-fi already, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Okay. I get, you've already got historical uh, fiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really think of any category any of these books could fit in i mean i could it count I, as a mystery i don't know we're not gonna go we're not gonna go there because i feel like that's like being too nitpicky so i think i'm gonna pass on my bingo card this week and hopefully next week i'll have one or two entries to add to it okay just looking it up real quick it looks like hank green has also come out as bisexual Oh, so then so I could count it as... LGBTQIA uh, author. Yeah, okay, then let's do that. Okay, I got you put down for that. Okay, what about you for your bingo card? Oh, I'm uh, putting Roger Ackroyd down for mystery. Okay. No bingo for you. You were still two books away from another bingo. Okay, let me see where that puts you. For mystery... No, you are still one book away from a bingo. Okay. Well, I mean, if we if we keep on track with uh, our bingo cards, and you mm-hmm. still have, like, I think one entry that you didn't do last time. Okay. So that's something you'll want to look to catch up on in future weeks. Yeah, I think when I go, once I finish the book I'm reading now, I think I need to look through, well, I might get you to text me, the categories I've already fulfilled and then that way from whatever's left I can like do a little bit of research about what my next read is what my next couple reads are going to be okay uh, I think the last bit of business to take care of then is our next reading challenge yes all right as our listeners may know uh, the book that you signed for us to talk about next time is the priory of the orange tree which I have read the first chapter of, so I've got like 800 pages to go. Yeah, so, I need to, I'm going to start that as well. Yeah, I've still got mine uh, copy from the library, so uh, I'll be getting back into it soon. Okay. But uh, after that, I'm going to give us an oldie and supposed goodie to read. This was written by Virginia Woolf in 1927 i want to say okay is the novel mrs dalloway all right mrs dalloway and uh you can find that book if you want to just read it on your phone you can find that in the uh what is that uh chapter a day book reading thing uh the serial app yeah the serial app has it yeah i look forward to uh, talking to you again next time uh, this has yep. been a good episode this I'm has just been gonna, a good episode. I'm just going to speak for our listenership when I say that this was a good episode. You uh, want to let people know where they can find us? Yes. So you can find us on our social media accounts at 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Literally Club at Your Words Podcast. You can find us on our website at yourwordspodcast.com. And you can send us a question, suggestion, or comment to yourwordspodcast at gmail.com. Well, Elizabeth, as always, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Mm-hmm. Hope you have a good week. Thank you. I hope you do, too. Yep. And I look forward to seeing you and talking to you again later. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.